Recently, uh, I was at a, a friend's house for lunch, and, and alongside a lovely bacon sandwich that he offered me, he also offered me a coffee. Now, this, uh, you know, anyone who knows me knows I'll rarely turn down a coffee. I love coffee, uh, but the coffee that he was offering was special. Uh, it came from his new coffee machine that he'd just gotten for Christmas, and, and this coffee machine was a thing of beauty. I don't know if you know the kind of coffee machine I'm about to describe, but this was like a proper machine. On the back of it, it had this water reservoir that you could detach and fill up with water and then put it back. It had a, a hopper that would grind the beans in order to keep the beans nice and, and, and fresh and that fresh taste of coffee, so it was just freshly ground when you were ready to drink it. Uh, on the front, it had this detachable reservoir also for milk, and, and it, would, it would heat up and then froth the milk for you so you could make your cappuccinos and your lattes and whatever else. And, and then, you know, on the front of it, there, there was even this little, this little thing that you could dial in what kind of coffee you wanted. And so you could have an Americano, or you could have a latte, or you could have a cappuccino, or you could have a latte macchiato, or you name it. You could have hot chocolate. All these things it would do for you. It was amazing. And of course, my friend was excited to tell me all about his coffee machine and how he'd done the research in order to find the best price on the internet, how well it made coffees, how easy it was to keep clean and, and, and so on. You could even use it to warm up your milk to eat your Weetabix in the morning. And I heard about, I saw this machine, and I even tasted his coffee, and I was taken until he told me the price tag. <laughs> even still, just looking at the joy on my friend's face when he spoke about this machine and having heard him tell me about how amazing it was and its features and so on, how he'd been telling all of his friends about it, that was a recommendation in itself, the joy to behold. This was a machine that was worth looking at. Already, two of his friends that he told about it had gone off and bought one. To be fair, one of his friends got it for his wife for Mother's Day. <laughs> I'm not sure how enamored she was to get it for a gift, but boy, he was having a great time. So what did I do? Whenever I got home, I thought, I know, I'll look it up but I didn't know the model number. So I quickly texted my friend back, what's the model? And he immediately came back to me with not just the model number, but the link to the exact machine at the best price. And so I had a look and, and seeing the price again, I, I, I thought, well, I like it. I like it a lot, but I'll keep that one on the long finger. Maybe I'll come back to it sometime in the future. Then a day later, I got another text from my friend. Again, in spite of the price tag, another of his friends had gone out and bought the machine too. And what became clear to me was that not only was this coffee machine a thing of beauty, but my friend had become a coffee machine evangelist. <laughs> Having experienced the joy of the machine for himself, he was full of the joy, and he wanted to share that joy with others too so that they could experience the joy of this coffee machine as well. 
You know, over the last few weeks, we've, been, uh, we've come across something similar and yet more profound, haven't we, when it comes to experiencing this new life with Christ that's marked by this real relationship with the living God of the universe, this real relationship that Jesus invites us into. And with that life comes great joy. We said a few Sundays ago that Christians should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. And this morning, I want to highlight the fact that I think that in addition to that, that Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet as well. Because what could be more joyful than experiencing and growing into this new life with God that opens up for us in Jesus Christ? But this morning, I'm actually going to take a step further. And I'm going to suggest that even better than the joy that we experience from being in Christ and having that experience of a relationship with God is the joy that comes from sharing this new life with others and inviting them to come and to encounter Christ for themselves. We've already said uh, that this is something that we can all do and something that Christ calls us all to do. And he sends us out into the world as his ambassadors, his evangelists, to tell others about him. Brothers and sisters, this is part of who you are. Because when you encounter the living God, as we heard about last week, it changes you. It changes your life, and it gives you a new sense of purpose, a new direction. You now have a life worth living and a savior and a mission that's worth dying for. And even in spite of your circumstances, whether they be good or they be challenging, there is a joy that bubbles up within us, which we can't help but share. It's this word joy that I want to focus in on this morning. There's lots in this passage that we could talk about. Maybe today, as you heard Noel reading the verses, you wanted to read about the, 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 the scorpions and the snakes and things like that. We're not going to talk about those today. We want to talk about this one word, joy. And to do that, we're going to do things a little bit different. I'm going to start at the end of the passage, and I'm going to work backwards. And just to put things in context, Jesus, as we read in chapter 9, had already sent out the 12 disciples to declare the good news of the kingdom at the beginning there of chapter 9. And following that, he does some pretty amazing things, like uh, feeding the 5,000 with those five loaves and the two fish. And after he predicts his death for a second time, Jesus sets out for Jerusalem with his followers at the end of chapter 9. And after challenging them with the, the reality of the cost of following him and serving in his kingdom, he now calls 72 others. And he sends them out as well, two by two, just as he'd done with the disciples. No doubt to show that this isn't just something that the disciples did, it's something that all followers of Christ do as well. We'll come back to that. But just like the disciples, these 72 others were tasked with going out and sharing the good news of the kingdom of God wherever they went. The kingdom of God has come near. God's salvation was at hand. It's there for all to touch. It's there for all 
to receive. And so this is what they do, and with great results. Verse 17 tells us that they, it, they had such a good time. Things went so well that they returned with joy. They had been obedient to Jesus. They had done what he said. They had gone out, and like the disciples, they had been able to do things that they never thought possible. They had been able to do the things that Jesus called them to do. And as a bonus, we read here, they come back rejoicing because even the demons submitted to them in Jesus' name. Such authority they had going out in the power of Christ. But replying to them, verse 20, Jesus reminds them, don't rejoice just because the demons submit to you, but simply because your names are written in heaven. In other words, their obedience to Christ and their fruitfulness as a result are indications that they are now members of God's kingdom, which is better than any miracle, better than any exorcism that they could have ever been involved in, just to be called a child of God. But then verse 21, we see this word joy again. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of the joy of the Holy Spirit, praises God for revealing these kingdom realities to his followers. There's no doubt that being a Christ follower brings great joy to the believer, to you and to me, as God's Holy Spirit works within us and draws, him, uh, draws us to himself. But did you see where the joy started to appear and bubble up in this passage? It wasn't necessarily from the fact that they were believers, though we know that one of the fruit of the Spirit that comes from being a believer is joy. And it wasn't even the fact that out of all of Jesus' followers, these 72 could could say, well, (laughs) look at me, I've been called to go. Maybe not you, but, you know, I got to go. You know, it wasn't even that. The joy came from going and partnering with God in the mission of God to rescue people and bring them back to Him. The joy came from going out and sharing their faith and declaring the good news of the kingdom in word and deed, and their joy brought joy to the heart of Jesus as well. There's this beautiful passage in John 17 where we find Jesus praying to the Father in heaven. It's the only place where you find the words that Jesus actually prays to his Father in heaven. We have the Lord's Prayer, which he tells us to pray, but here we hear Jesus' words, what he prays to the Father in heaven. And knowing that the cross and his death is just around the corner, which we're going to be celebrating this morning, all Jesus did for us on the cross, knowing that that was just around the corner, Jesus lifts up his followers to God in prayer. And listen to what he says there in John chapter 17, verses 13 and following. He says to the Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. There's that word joy. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. 
sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Christ's desire is that you and I be filled with joy. That's what you see there uh, in verse 13, that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. And looking there, we discover that somehow our joy is also being connected with our being sent out into the world as the passage continues. Uh, to get the key to what all of this about, we turn to one final passage this morning in Hebrews uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And there the author to the Hebrews says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. There's that word joy again right in the middle of this passage. For the joy that was set before him there in verse 2. And what was Jesus' joy? What was it talking about there? Well, the joy that it's talking about there is completing the mission to rescue God's people. And to do that, he joyfully endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ's Joy is found in mission, going, being sent to bring salvation and good news to the lost and to the broken, the hurting, those who are far from God and who know it, those who are desperate and in need of a Savior. Christ's joy is rooted in his sentness, his being sent into the world to save us because he knew the outcome. He knew that you and I and countless others would believe and be saved. And having experienced that joy for himself, he wants you and he wants me to experience that same joy as we engage with him in mission as well. As the Father has sent me, he, Jesus says in John 17, I am sending you. This morning, if you see nothing else, I want you to notice that the result of mission that we've been talking about over these last weeks is joy. There's a direct link between our joy and our being caught up into the story of what God is doing in the world so that we are now sent out into the world for the sake of the kingdom on mission as well. Just as Jesus called those 72 others on his kingdom adventure, knowing that it wouldn't be easy, but that there would be great joy as a result, he now calls you and I on the same adventure as we partner with him on what he's doing in our world today. 
This is the adventure of a lifetime that you and I were made for. I'm indebted to to Tim Keller for his thoughts on these passages that we're looking at this morning, some of which I want to share with you here. But thinking about this adventure to which we are all called as God's people, Keller points out that, you know, children know all about this adventure instinctively. He points out the fact uh, that, you know, they want to live in a story that's greater than themselves. We, We know this. We see this. They want to be on an adventure. I mean, you ever heard a child who was asked, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do they say? Have you ever heard a child answer and say, I I want to sit in an office all day long behind a screen, pushing paper and pens around the place? No. Ask a child what they want to be, and they want to be uh, firefighters and police officers. They want to be in the army. They they want to be princesses and doctors and nurses. Uh, They want to rescue people and save them from trouble, don't they? They want to put the world to right. They want to be on an adventure. And somehow, as we've gotten older, many of us have lost that says Keller. Instead of drinking from the well of Christ, we spend our time drinking from the well of culture, which is all about me. Me first. It's all about what I want, what I think, my opinion. It's all about me. And the problem with drinking from that well is that it leaves us thinking that life is all about my happiness and my comfort. But Jesus says here, he's told his disciples that following him, there would be a cost involved the end of chapter 9, and that joy wouldn't come from getting a bigger house or a bigger, better car or a better job or having a family or whatever else, although those things are, are great things. Uh, you know, a joy that we need that will fill us up inside, that will truly satisfy our souls, won't come from relationships or accumulating more stuff, but in sharing the blessings that we've been given, the good news of the kingdom with the world around us. Only a few verses before in chapter 9, verse 25, Jesus challenges his disciples And he points out that if we try and uh, live for ourselves, we'll lose ourselves. He says, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very soul? If you live for yourself only, you'll lose yourself. But come and live for me, Jesus says, and you'll gain it all. In particular, now in chapter 10, we see that joining in on the mission of God leads to a joy that the world can't give. As you see others coming in to experience the joy of new life in the kingdom for themselves, being set free from sin and shame, free from addiction, free from bondage, free from all kinds of sin that snarled up their lives and hold them back from experiencing true life. Live for yourself and you'll lose out on God's mission for you, but live as an ambassador for Jesus Christ, as an evangelist of the gospel, and you'll be filled with joy as you'll see heaven touching earth and God's kingdom coming more and more into people's lives. Which leads us to our second point. Because as we go out on mission, Christ 
calls us to go, we don't go on our own. As we've been hearing over the last few weeks, we go out in His authority. We go out in His strength. We go out with His presence and His power, just as those 72 did in our passage. It's when you encounter the living God for yourself and you experience His presence and His power at work in your life that you're able to step out on mission in the strength of His authority. When you encounter God, your life will be changed. You'll be a different person. You get a new life, a new purpose, a new mission to live for. And as we move out in obedience and mission for Him in His name and His authority that He gives us as His disciples what we discover is that we become a blessing. We, we bless those around us, just like Jesus did. Over the past few weeks, we've been reminded time and again that God blesses us, his children, so that we can be a blessing to others. That's the mission. Sharing the blessings of the kingdom and predominantly the good news about Jesus with those around us. Which brings us to the the final point this morning. We'll see if we can get this to move forward. There we go. The blessing that we share with our world is one of word and deed. Now going back to these 72 disciples that we see at the beginning of the passage, Jesus sent them out in the same way, we're, we're to go out into the world today telling people about the good news of Jesus with, with our lips, but also showing them the good news with our lives through demonstrations of, of the power of the Holy Spirit as God sees fit to move in our lives and through us in our time. And so not only as we go, not only do we pray that sick people will be healed, Not only do we pray that wrongs will be put right. Not only do we pray that what has been lost will be restored in people's lives. That the broken will be made whole. Not only do we look for God to move in power. But we declare the wonder of God. And we declare the truth about Jesus Christ through our words as well as the way we live. Turning back to that passage there in John chapter 17, Uh, just towards the end of that passage, Jesus, we'll go back, maybe I didn't, uh, didn't put it on there, that's okay. Jesus says this just at the end of that passage in John 17, verses 17 to 19. And again, he's praying for you, he's praying for me, he's praying for his followers. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That word sanctification is all about our holiness. And as Jesus prays for us, as we go out on mission, he also prays earnestly for our holiness, for our sanctification. That's all about how you live your life. Because how you live your life matters. It matters to God and it directly impacts the mission that God has called you on. Because here's the thing, as you go about telling your friends and your loved ones and those uh, you work with around you or or who you, uh, you know, play with or 
wh- whatever you do, wherever you find yourself in your week, as you tell them about Jesus, one of the first questions that they will want to ask quietly in themselves, if not out loud, is what difference does Jesus make anyway? My clicker is uh, running late there. there, there. <laughs> what, Jesus, what difference did Jesus make anyway? That's the, the question the world wants to know. That's the question that your friends and mine are asking. All well and good talking about the afterlife. But what difference does Jesus make to my life today? Right now. And, and so as we bring this into land this morning, we're nearly done. The question is simple. You might be thinking, you know, how do I even start trying to do the things that those 72 were doing at the beginning of our passage? I'd love to see miracles in my time. I'd love to see people around me being set free from what binds them up and holds them back from experiencing freedom that Christ came to bring. But where do I start? Well, why don't you start here? Look at how you live your life Look at your holiness before God. If you want a holiness check, simply take a day or a week of your life and rewind it in your mind and ask yourself, thinking back on my day, thinking back on my week, in the conversations that you have had, in the things that you've said and the things that you have posted on social media, the, how you've spent your time, the language that you have used and the way that you've treated others, in the way that you prioritize your time, in the way that you care for those who are in need, in your attitudes towards others and especially to those who hurt you. When others look at those things in your life, what do they see? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit pouring out of your life? Do do they see you reacting in ways that show love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in your life? When they look at you, is the way that you act, the way that you think, is Uh, the way that you carry on, is that any different than the world around you? How do you react to sickness and suffering and pain and disappointment in your life? Is the way you react to those things any different to the world around us? Is it any more hope-filled than the world around us? Think about it. When Jesus sent these 72 out uh, and when he sent out all of his followers before he returned to the Father, what did he send them with? And some of us say, you know, I, I can't go out, Jim, because, you know, I don't know what to say. I don't, I, don't, I don't know the right words. I don't know the right answers. And, you know, that's, that's okay. I get that. But, you know, look at what God, Jesus, sent those followers out then with. Did he send them out with manuals? How-to books, self-help guides? Did he send them out with Google in order to search up the right answers on the internet? No. He sent them out a changed people, a holy people, a people who were set apart for him in the power of the Holy Spirit. If your life is no different to the world around you, then when you share the story of Jesus Christ with others, what are they going to assume? 
they're going to think, you know, when it comes to Jesus, I can either take him or leave him because it makes no difference anyway. But if they see God at work in you, if you are noticeably different than the world around you in a good way, not in kind of being a weird way, if looking at you, they see a life changed and a life well lived, that's beautiful. That's attractive. And they're going to be more likely to be open and want to know more, at the very least to ask the question, why are you so different? When suffering knocks at your door, how can you still have hope? Unless there is something better in us, they won't be interested to hear about the better story, about the good news of Jesus Christ that we have to offer. And as Christ followers, we want to see heaven touching earth in the kinds of ways we see in our passage here this morning. We want to see people healed and set free. We want to see faith coming alive. We want to see lives that are lost being found. We want to see hope restored, and we want to be filled with joy that outlasts our circumstances. But brothers and sisters, if we're not paying attention to our personal holiness, how we're living our lives, we shouldn't expect to see the other stuff that we want to see as well. Which simply goes to say that if if you're feeling a bit joyless, and, and again, I use that word, we're not talking about happiness. We're not talking about feelings. We're talking about the deep down contentment and joy that comes from knowing the Lord and knowing that you're loved. If you're not feeling that joy, then maybe you need to do what the author to the Hebrews says in, in chapter 12. Maybe you need to stop Maybe you need to take your eyes off of yourself and fix them on Jesus. Be mesmerized by his beauty. Be overwhelmed by his joy. Enter back into his story. Recommit yourself to living a holy life as you follow in Christ's footsteps and come to him and receive so that you have something to give as you go. Engaging with his mission in the world today. And as you then go into the world for him. As your life begins to touch others for the sake of the kingdom, watch how your joy grows. As lives are changed and as you see heaven touching down on earth and God's kingdom coming more and more here on earth as it is in heaven and people's lives, in your home, on your street, in our community, across our land, today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that there is joy in the Lord. We thank you that there is joy in knowing you and being known by you. There's a deep joy that overcomes circumstances and even overwhelms us in times of sadness. And Father, we thank you that that joy is not just ours to hold on to, but it grows more and more as we share our good news with others. We share our joy with others, the joy of the kingdom. And we pray, Father, that more and more you would help us to be that kind of a people who having experienced you, having encountered you, the living God, 
are changed and go out and share our joy with the world. The joy of the world. Jesus Christ. Father, we, we want to be that people. We want to see heaven touching down on earth in our time. We want to see lives changed in our time. We want to see healings. We want to see miracles. We want to see great things for you. But Father, we pray that you would help us and do a great work in us to make that possible through our own holiness, through our own obedience, through our own willingness to follow you wherever you lead. Grow that in us, we pray, as well as a desire and a passion to reach out to the lost. And we pray that in our time we would see your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.